Hello, this is your host Sathak Mundal and I am pleased to welcome Mr. Rob Wilson in our Football Collective podcast today. Rob is the Head of Department in Finance, Accounting and Business Systems in Sheffield Business School. Hello Rob, how are you? I am good Sathak, and yourself? I am not, not too bad. So Rob, today we will discuss about the situation that led to the dismissal of Birdie Football Club from the English Football League and Chesterfield Football Club which is potentially becoming the next Birdie as I guess they are not able to get the manager of the books mm-hmm. uh, so f- what is your take on like why did Bury FC get dismissed I thought you were going to recount the first lesson in financial management I taught you when you were a first year which is can you pay your debts as they fool you and is the selling price higher than the cost well isn't it <laughs> the case that all of the Premier League clubs currently can't pay their debts as they are falling uh, due no well no they're, so they're surviving because they can so they're the turnover that they generate just about provides a sufficient amount of money to be able to recover the um, any liabilities that they're, owe, they're owing. Um, and then what you have is they then renegotiate things. So you know, Manchester United quite famously renegotiated some of their loan agreements to extend them or reduce the interest payments and so on. And that is kind of normal. We expect that in business. And again, I think we, we, we always will teach students that borrowing itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's your ability to be able to, to recover or to repay that money when the person that you owe in it to uh, asks for it back. And you know what? To be perfectly honest, the situation we saw, uh, the disaster that we saw at Bury FC uh, last summer, um, situation we saw at Bottom Wanderers, the situation that is beginning to raise its ugly head again elsewhere in the Football League is quite simply... Um, clubs not being able to pay their debts as they fall June. The debts that most of them are getting stung with at the moment are those to Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs because they're not paying their tax liability. That They are deducting through national insurance contributions through their PAYE system um, and then withholding that money. And you have this crazy thing in football that um, there's a, something called the football creditor rule. And what that means is that any designated football creditor, so like a football player, gets paid first in any liquidation or uh, dissolving of um, of that entity. Her Majesty in Revenue and Customs are not one of those football creditors. So unless you petition the court to say, we want our money back um, or we want what we're owed, um, the chances are if that club entity were ever to be dissolved, you would never get that money back. And, you know, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs have been quite active in their pursuit of unpaid debts in football for that reason. They probably have a responsibility to do that on behalf of the tax-paying public, um, myself included. And uh, it makes it very difficult for those clubs. But ultimately, let's go back to the question, because I am beginning to ramble. Um, The Bury FC situation happened because they borrowed too much and they were unable to pay their debts as they fell due. And what about... Chesterfield Football Club, where do you see this thing going? Because they are unable to get the sacked manager of the books because they can't agree a compensation package. And potentially there are lots of talks of a takeover, including a fan trust that is trying mm. to take over the club. And potentially, I think that if things are not sorted out very quickly, they will potentially go down mm. the Bury FC way. Yeah, Chesterfield's an interesting study, isn't it? They've been struggling for a while. Um, Dave Allen, the owner, bounced from Sheffield Wednesday years ago. It was one of the very first TV interviews I did, actually, on football finance. It was about Dave Allen's um, ownership of Sheffield Wednesday and HMRC petitioning for a winding-up order for, for that football club back in 2008, I think. And 
similar situation now going on at Chesterfield. Um, they've obviously fallen out of the Football League system, uh, are really struggling in the National League. Um, they were very clear that they had to get promoted at the first attempt to retain some of their infrastructure, like their academy status and all the rest of it, and been able to do that. Um, ultimately, when you sack anybody, you have to agree that compensation package. Um, we hope that people that we employ have some sort of loyalty to the business and would see the situation that's going on. But ultimately, you know, the manager is entitled to a compensation package that he feels is appropriate for him. And they can't agree that at the moment. So it's going to cause a widespread problem, I think. So whatever we think about sports, like we treat it as business, but at the end of the day, football fans are irrational and football clubs are at the heart of the community in most of the cities. So what do you think like the EFL or the National League or the regulators should do to stop this type of stuff from happening so that clubs don't wind up? I think they need to regain control of their sporting entities, but the, by that I mean their league competitions. Um, the reason that some of these clubs end up getting into such financial difficulty is because the league regulations don't make you produce your financial statements ahead of time. They don't ask you to produce your financial objectives before a season starts, which is why when these situations hit the media, they're always right at the end of the story and, and are often a little bit too late. And the I think the, the regulatory bodies, EFL, Premier League, National League, take a bit of a leaf out of the French Football Authority's book and get them to, or, or the Bundesliga's for that matter, and get them to produce much more rigorous, forward-looking financial uh, budgets and objectives so that they can decide whether or not they're going to continue. And if, if they don't think they're going to continue or that their plan is not financially sustainable, then withhold their league position and that will soon sort it out. What I think is like one of the most fascinating things is like if you see the financial fair play for UEFA, it is I guess set at thirty million thirty million euros for three years. You can make a loss yeah. for Premier League it is one hundred and five million euros yeah. oh million pounds for three years and for EFL it is thirty nine million pounds for three years, which is I guess a problem in itself because club can make one hundred five million loss according to EPL rules, yeah. but not more than thirty million euros loss. According yeah. to UCL rules, I, I don't think the EPL rules really are about financial fair play. If I'm totally honest, and there's certainly no financial sustainability at the heart of them, and they stand outside the the regulations that are a lot tougher. I think at UEFA level, and then um, and then what we see in the EFL. Um, I don't think the regulations are right. I think there's too many people trying to get around them, and that's causing more problems actually than than it is creating solutions. Um, but then by the same token, when a club does breach, the the league associations are not prepared to punish those clubs sufficiently well. So you know, people will talk to me often about QPR a few years ago when they had this so-called big fine. But if you look at the detail of that so-called big fine, in inverted commas, you know, you'll see that they were, I think the fine was about £8 million. Um, the, there was a deferred fine of about another £20 million, And then they were allowed to convert... 20, 20 or so million into equity, which is not allowed under financial fair play, but in order for them to get around it, it was it was deemed appropriate in the courts. And I just think to myself, you know what? They breached financial fair play by that much to get promoted to the Premier League. Just sanction them. Chuck them out of the division. Make a really, really clear case that this isn't an acceptable way to run a club because of the community association that you talked about earlier. Same with Man City. You know, systematic breaching of financial fair play. I was going play. to 
come to that point because I read this morning that Manchester United, Manchester City bridged around like 400 million pounds through the naming rights mm. of Etihad Stadium. And I guess like that is the same reason why Sakharin Scott out of the rugby championship. Yeah. And the rugby premier division set out a clear example that if you do this sort of naughty mm. stuff, <laughs> you are out of the way. But I don't think UEFA will punish Man City in any way. Uh, you know, we should say that it's all allegedly done at the moment. Um, we've looked at the Man City accounts. We've looked at how they've been operating their business. I've got some real questions over how it all operates. Um, the, I've been talking to some students about this, actually, because what we're seeing in Rugby Union at the moment with Saracens is an, a very clear line that says this is not acceptable. We And they, they've been complicit, right? Let's be clear. that Over the last few years, the, the association has been complicit in in allowing that to happen, as have the other clubs. And it's got to a point, I think, this year where enough's enough. Um, and the sanction is, uh, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, the, the the league have probably said to Saracens, open your accounts up over the last 10 years, and if we find an irregularity, we'll strip you of all your titles. And Saracens now are doing a bit of damage control. Um, with the other penalty is to be relegated. But that's a tough, tough sanction. And you would think that when they are re-promote it, because you wouldn't expect them to be out of the league for that long, that they will behave in a much fairer um, way, which helps competitive balance and all the research that you've been looking at yourself. Um, UEFA don't seem to want to do that, uh, unless it's a smaller club. And that's what annoys me about how UEFA treat uh, treat this so-called G20 group. Um, I mean, they still managed to ban AC Milan out of yeah. the Europa League. Yeah, but, but it's they won't touch Man City. I no, guess. but AC Milan, whilst a very historic big club, aren't really capturing you know the world's attention at the moment. So sanctioning them in the way they have done creates a problem for AC Milan, but hasn't had this seismic impact across European football, at least as far as I can see it. Um, and they keep dancing around the Man City issue and the PSG issue, and you know countless others. I would suspect um, they just need to need to get the teeth out and cut them on on chucking them out of the Champions League, EPL chucking them out of the league and soon see some change. Now coming to the implications, recently we saw Chinese Super League reducing the uh, salary cap on foreign players who will be not only allowed to pay to be paid 47.5 grand a week, which is not bad mm. money <laughs> for us. Good if you can get it. If I would get that money, I would happily take so, but there are players in China, such as Oscar, who used to play for Chelsea. I forgot his name. He still mm. plays. Who are on like 600 grand a week. Yeah. And so, all these players are potentially looking to come back to Europe, mm. where they won't get that money, but they will still get higher wages. So, how do you think that that implication will have on the overall footballing world? I think what was interesting when the Chinese football industry started to really push harder acquisitions of what we would call Western players. And when, when I say that, I mean players that were playing in Western Europe. So, you know, you chuck Carlos Tevez into that um, that scenario, despite the fact he was South American, he's playing in Western Europe. Um, went over to China, earned a, you know, bucketfuls of cash. Didn't really work out in terms of what he took to the league. Oscar's probably quite similar. Um, there was a striker from Southampton, Italian guy, I can't remember his name now. Uh, Fellaini's gone over there. A bunch of other players have gone. Um hasn't really raised the standard like I think the CSL were hoping for. I guess um, we looked at some competitive balance stuff around the CSL as well. And yeah. it improved slightly, but... Yeah. It, look, they need a lot. You don't buy 
um, years and years of history, which is what we have in Western Europe. But the, you know, the, the development of those clubs, the structures and the infrastructure around them, the academy systems that move in through them. You're talking about generations of players that are going through that system and generations of fans. And I think what the CSL tried to do was to try and buy some of that history quite quickly. Um, perhaps not worked out. What we did see, though, in a European level was that we weren't com- that European clubs weren't competing to keep those players. So, you know, if a big offer came in from China, it was all right, fair enough, see you later. And they didn't compete. So, I don't think there'll be a huge impact on Western European system with any players that might come back. So, that's the end of the podcast. And thank you for agreeing to appear on the podcast. Hey, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Have a nice day. Cheers, Sata.